The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go ahead and raise your hand on up. We've got some of those coming around. Uh, If you don't have a Bible of your very own, I would like to invite you to take that one with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, And so we're going to be in... Ephesians 1, I don't know what it is, but it seems like um, like there was Easter and then all of a sudden it was August. Hello, like, knock, knock, who's there? August, hey, what, what are you doing here? And so, man, we are going through this summer, we've been going through the Gospel-Centered Church uh, sermon series, and I hope it's touched your heart. Uh, but I just, last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, I was going through the mall. I'm not a mall guy. Anybody like to hang out at the mall? No. Okay. Oh, I, one guy. I like the mall. All right. Uh, when I was a, when I was a kid, I guess, uh, junior high or so into high school, the mall was kind of the hangout. Did you guys ever hang out at the mall? Like, there was a time where the mall was, was cool. Like, so your parents would drop you off, and you'd walk around the mall, and you'd act like you have money, but you really don't have anything. And, you know, you, you play the arcade or whatever. But I was at the mall, and uh, I just remembered uh, growing up, hanging out at the mall, the, the smells of the mall. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm totally lost. You know when you're walking through the mall, and they've got those kiosks that, like, bake the pretzels? Have you ever smelled that? All right, you walk through, you smell the pretzels or the Mrs. Fields cookies. They just bring them out of the oven. And and I just remembered as a kid, I always walked through the mall and I smelled these pretzels. I smelled these cookies and it just made me hungry for them. And I don't know, how about Cinnabon? Okay. I got some of you there now. All right, you go through, you got the Cinnabon, and you smell that, and you're just like, man, that is good. And you want to get some of those. You buy a dozen, right? You eat six right there. You take six home or whatever. And and so I I just remember smelling these things that would just simply make me... Make me more hungry uh, for those types of deals. And, and I know that as I read the scriptures, there's certain things that just, that just make me hungry. There's certain things that just make me hungry. And what we're talking about today uh, is, is gospel-centered promises. And when I begin to study the promises of God, I just simply get hungry for them. Did you know that in the Bible, that, that 114 times it uses this phrase, in him. Let me explain that to you. This in him idea, it's not something that we cognitively know about Christ. It's not something that we can muster up on our own imagination. It's not something that we can cognitively explain. But being in Christ is when the two of us just simply collide and become one. It's not that I just can sit down and talk to you about the things of God, but I actually can feel and know that Christ is in my life, in my, in my spirit. Somehow he dwells in me. And so when, when we talk about being in Christ, we're talking about the two of us, me, my wretched soul, my wickedness, and God's perfect holy righteousness somehow come down and we intersect and faith and repentance collide. And I just simply become his. And so when the Bible talks about being in Christ, I know that when you're in Christ, there's 
There's passions that come. There's certain things that come, the things, things I start to love things of God more and start to hate things of myself more. Anybody in that battle right now? It's like this friction, right? You begin to love more and more of things of God and begin to look past the things of this world. And so when Christ dwells in you, there's this, there's this transformation. And, and so when we hear the gospel, we become in him when we receive this faith through this truth. The fact that God loves me. I want you to hear that. I know we say that a lot. The fact that while I was a sinner, he loved me. So before I did anything right or anything wrong, while I was a sinner, he loved me. And it's that love that is deeper than any of my sin. It goes deeper than any of my wrongdoings. It goes deeper than any of my past. And it's that love that begins to grow in a passion for me. Now, now I know as the church, we love the ambiguous us. Because we can proclaim that God loves us. We do it all the time. Oh, God loves us. But listen, God doesn't just love this guy. He doesn't just love this girl. He doesn't just love the pastor. He loves you. And I think if we could just somehow within our souls get to this point where we really believe, where we really know that before I could do anything right, he fully loved me. Now that would, that would transform our church. And so there's this idea of standing in Christ, being in Christ, standing in his love, standing in his righteousness, standing in his strength, that transformation begins to occur. And that's what it means to be in him. And I believe if we as a church could just simply grasp this love, if we could, listen, if we could somehow smell that sweet aroma it would somehow through that just make us hungry for him. And so today I want to share with us some of the promises that are in Christ as his children, as his sons, as his daughters. And somehow through that, it would just make us crave more of him. Are you with me? All right. So let's go. Uh, Ephesians 1 is where we're going to start. If you've got one of our Bibles, uh, the page number is up here. If you brought your own, you're just going to have to find it. Ephesians 1. Starting in verse 3, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. Everyone say in him. In him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us as adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. That B is capitalized in the beloved because that's referring to being in Christ. And so right here. What the Bible just says is that he chose us, that he 
adopted us as sons and daughters, that, that he chose us before the foundations of the world. He says, you're my son, you're my daughter. He's bringing us to him. Now, now, how does something crazy like this happen? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 7. In him, everyone say, in him. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has, he, which he set forth in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Everyone say in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. So right here, this is how it works. He adopts us as his sons, adopts us as his daughters. He chose us before the foundation of the world and he has brought redemption. He's brought redemption. He's redeemed us. How? Through me being a good boy. It says through his blood. Not me being a good man, not me going to church, not me doing this or doing that or not doing this, but only by his blood, only through his perfect sacrifice upon the cross can he bring that redemption. And so he's brought redemption, he's brought grace, he's lavished it upon us, and he's made it known to us, those of you who are in Christ, you cling to that grace, you cling to that love, and you cling to that adopting as sons. And so here I want you to see that the cross of Christ was not plan B. But rather, it was the plan all along. It was not like, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do? I know, let's send in Jesus. It was the plan all along to unite all things to him, to bring all things into his presence, to bring all things in him so that he might be praised, so that he might be glorified, so that he might be lifted up among all things. And that's why he brought his blood. But it doesn't stop there. Look in verse 11. In him, everyone say in him. In him. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, say in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So the reason why he saves us, the reason why he brings us, the reason why he chose us, the reason why he came is for the praise of his glory. And so we have now an inheritance in Christ. For those of us who are in Jesus, we have now been adopted as sons and daughters, and there is an inheritance for us so that God would be glorified. Now, let me explain this to you. This is nothing new is what we talk about, but something in us, when this being in him happens for his praise, we begin to see him with a new passion. And and let me just explain it this way. Men and women have an absolute uh, sinful nature. You're prone to sin. Let, Let me say it like this. 
you have a sinful nature. All right? Not just we. You have a sinful nature, which means we're prone to run from God rather than to God. You, tra- you tracking with that? Okay, let me, let me do it this way. You are prone to run from God rather than to God. All right, which means that we seek our own selfishness. Oh, I'm sorry. You seek your own selfish desires, all right, rather than seeking the desires of God. I want to be very clear, all right? We love the us, all right? But you seek your own self. You seek your own selfishness. I see this in my kids all the time, but, but I see that I have this prone, this, this wanting to wander away from God. So through my thoughts and through my deeds, through my wickedness, I'm... I'm ugly rather than holy. And and here's the news is that you do not, in your own strength, have the ability to clean yourself up. You do not possess the will, the power, the strength, or the ability to clean yourself up, to make yourself right before God. And so here's the deal is outside of him, we're completely lost. Let me say it like this. Outside of him, you are completely lost. But in him, something amazing happens. In Christ, something tremendous happens. Occurs. Now, let me show you some of the things that occurs when you're in Christ. All right, flip over to 2 Corinthians 5. If you don't have it, I've got it up here. Keep your finger in Ephesians. We're going to come back. 2 Corinthians 5. It's just a couple pages to the left. I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. Look in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So right here, I've got the Bible telling me that if I am in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. I'm a new creation. I'm a new man. I'm a new person. Now, how does, how does this happen? Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, say in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so let me tell you why this is great news for me. It's great news for me because I can remember back to the way that I used to live. I can remember the way that I used to think. I can remember the Eric that was running from God. I, I'm still reminded of present struggles like, like lust and anger and selfishness. I still have evil desires. I can, I can still feel myself proning to wonder. Now, don't, don't mishear me because I'm not standing here saying that underneath this shirt, I have an S on my chest. 
I'm standing before da, 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 cape flapping in the wind. You know, you know what I mean? Like I bleed. But I can tell you that in Christ, there's been a lot that's been removed from me. And it's good news for me because I can still remember the Eric that was wicked. And this says that in him, the old has passed away and the new has come. This says that in Christ, I'm a new creation. Why? Because I, I started going to church because I, I read a self-help book. Is that why? Is it because I learned what to say and what not to say? I started doing some things. Is it because I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and buckled myself down and started to be a, a better man? Is it, is it the same Eric that just turned over a new leaf and just started doing things differently? No, it says I'm a new creation. I'm, I'm the old guy. He's dead. The old guy's gone, but the new guy has come. And so out of this love for Christ, things start to change. Things start to develop. Things start to transform. And so the Bible says that in Christ, the old Eric is dead and there's a new man. There's a, there's a new person. Ephesians 2 would say that, that we've been made alive with Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says, by one man, Adam, came death, but in Christ we have come alive. So through our sin is death, but through Christ is life. I tell you this all the time, but I believe that it's possible for you to exist but not have life. I believe that it's possible. John 10.10, Jesus says the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy But I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, he's talking to people, all right, who are standing there, who are breathing, that are existing, that have jobs and have families and have kids and have homes. And he says, listen, you can simply exist in life or you can have life. I've come so that you may have life and not just simply go about your routine or go about existence, but rather have life. And so in Christ, there's life. Okay. Romans 8. If that one doesn't fire you up, all right, if that doesn't get you going a little bit, all right, maybe, maybe this one will. Flip over to Romans chapter 8. I love this. I love this. I love it. It's my favorite one. <laughs> Romans 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Say in Christ. All right, so this is what it said. There's no condemnation. There's no condemning those who are in Christ. Now, some of you... This is hard to get your mind around. Some of you were just simply born in the church. You grew up in church. Mama maybe gave birth to you on the pew, right? You came out all gooey, slapped you on the bottom. Your first word was Jesus, right? And you just kind of grew up in this, in this church deal, right? And, and you, you've known church and you've known religion, you've known this thing, all right? But let me tell you something. I was not that kid. Anybody else? All right, so I was not that guy. And so there is a lot of wickedness in my past. I talked to so many people, and they said, man, if I could just hop in the DeLorean, 
right? Somehow find a time machine, you know, some, somehow find the DeLorean and get in it and, and somehow generate the 1.21 gigawatts that are necessary, right? Set the flux capacitor, which is what makes time travel possible. You set the flux capacitor, you go back in time, and, and we could change some things that we've done. But, but here's the deal, man. This, this passage is so powerful because here's what happens. Is, is, is we want so badly to undo the things that we've done. Don't we? We want to go back in time. We want to find that time machine. We want to change some things. We want to change our wickedness. But this passage says that we don't have to have a time machine. Because we can't change time. Some people just say, you have, Eric, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I've been through. You don't know. You have no idea of my mistakes or my shortcomings or my mess-ups. You have no idea the depths of my wickedness. And I would say, you're right, I don't. But listen to this. Those who are in Christ, you don't need a time machine. Because there's no... Condemnation, all of your wrongs have been made right and he doesn't condemn you for your past. You've got to hear that like, we don't need the Lord, we don't need Doc, we don't need that. We have Jesus and in him there's no condemnation for me. And so when I look at my wickedness, I'm reminded of the gospel that says, in Christ, I'm not condemned, I'm free. And so, and so hear me. When I say that all of your past can be made right in Christ. All of your present struggles are made right in Christ. And here's a big one. All of your future sins are covered by Jesus Christ. Because there is no condemnation For you as a child of God in Christ. And it is in that kindness that leads me to repentance. It is that kindness of God that says, through my son, you're good. Through my son, I don't condemn you. And it's that leads me to repentance. It's called, it's called, it's called future grace. When I stand in the fact that all of my sins were future sins when Christ went to the cross. And so I don't have condemnation on me. Now listen, we have to understand that as a child of God, there is conviction. Hear me. You are not condemned in Christ. But in Christ, there will be a conviction. The Holy Spirit begins to convict you of things that are broken in you, things that are not Christ-like in you, and begins to shape you and mold you and shape you and twist you and take out of some things that it's called refining by the fire, if you will. Right? You experience that? If you don't experience conviction over any of your sins, you have to ask the question, are you in Christ? So there's no condemnation, but there is conviction because a godly grief 
brings about repentance that brings about salvation. And so when we have a godly grief, that is the Holy Spirit convicting us, shaping us, changing us more and more and more into the image in Christ. And so there's no condemnation for me, but there will be a change in my life. Now, if that doesn't fire you up, maybe this one will. Go to Colossians 1. I love this. I love this. It's my favorite one. (laughs) I keep saying that. Colossians 1. Starting in verse 21. And you, be clear, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Everyone say holy and blameless. And above reproach before him. Now, what this just said is that in Christ... I'm perfect. In Christ, you are made holy and blameless. I would say, who can bring a charge against you? You're holy and blameless. In Christ, through his redemption, you're holy And you're blameless. Hebrews 10 says, for by a single offering, he has perfected those who are in him. He's perfected you. You're holy and you're blameless. Think about it. Every lie, every bad thought, every time I fail to acknowledge God, every ounce of pride, every selfishness, every sinful act, everything, every time I've walked away from God, every time I knew the good I ought to do and do not do it, it's sin. And so every time I've done these things is an offense to God. But in the last days, Jesus says, I don't see any of that. I see you as perfect. I see you as holy. I see you you as blameless. And when I read Colossians 1 that says, In Christ you are holy, blameless, and above reproach. That makes me want to love him. You know? Because that's good news for you who know you're not perfect. And it will be good news for you when you finally figure out you're not. And so when I read this passage of what it means to be in Christ, I begin to feel the weight of the fact that as I was a broken, sinful, wicked man, he sees me as blameless. He calls me his son. Can you think about that for a minute? Cause you his his daughter. You're the apple of his eye. You're his. He's yours. You're his son. All right. Let's go one more. Let's go back to Ephesians. (laughs) 
When I read things like that, I can't help but worship. I can't help but fall at my knees. I can't help. But this is, this is truly my favorite one. I love this. I love this. Ephesians 1 again. Let's, let's start back a little bit in verse 11, and we'll get to it. It says, in him, say in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Look at this. In him, say in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, say in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now there is something huge that comes by being sealed by God. Follow me here. All right? As our culture, we don't like this. We don't like to be owned by somebody. We don't like to be uh, bought. We don't like to be uh, under somebody. And so our culture is like, hey, you don't own me. Nobody owns me, right? You ever heard that? Like you can't, you don't tell me what to do. You don't, you don't own me. We, we like to say that God doesn't own me. Even, even us as Christians, we say, well, I believe, but he don't own me. He don't, no, he don't own me. He owes me is what we like to say. Right? He don't own me. He owes me something. So we're looking for God to owe me something. Let me tell you what he owes you. He owes you death. And so let me tell you why, why in this case, being sealed, being owned by God is probably the greatest thing we could ever know. The greatest thing we can imagine. Because here's the deal, is when we're sealed by God, when we're his, the fact of the matter is, is that God doesn't lose stuff. Right? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't lose me. Once he's got me, he doesn't, he doesn't lose me. And I'm so completely his. And God doesn't, it's not like God is sitting there on a Sunday afternoon watching the game. Gets up, goes in the kitchen to grab himself a snack, comes back, and all of a sudden the devil sneaks in, grabs me and runs. And God's singing, where'd he go? What happened to him? Like, like we searched for the remote under the cushions. Where's that thing? Right? God, listen, he doesn't lose stuff. And I love that about him because once I'm sealed by God, he says, I've got you. I've sealed you. You're mine. I'm yours. And there's no taking you out of And this is the promise of God that when he seals you with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't lose you. He doesn't just wander you or, or, or somehow find a way that you could trickle off out of his grasp. says, you're mine. I've sealed you. You know what else it means to be owned by God? It's also great news. Is because I can start to live my life without fear. Hear that. Because there's so many of you that are struggling right now. You're struggling with fear. 
struggling maybe financially, wondering how you're going to make it. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe you're overwhelmed with just different things in life. Some of you are struggling with an uneasy feeling or concerning your future. But listen, when you're in him, when you know you're sealed by God, when you know that he's grabbed you, you get to quit living in fear. Because the creator and the sustainer of all things just happens to be your father. And I think when David in the Psalms goes through that roller coaster that is his life, highs and lows, he can bring praise. Because the creator and the sustainer of all things is his daddy. And so when you're in Christ, you can stop living your life in fear. Now, here's the best news of all. Eric, how does this happen? How does this happen? How do we, how are we chosen? How are we brought to him? How, how is it that there's no condemnation for me? How is it that I become his possession? How do I become sealed by God? How, how is it that I become alive, that the new comes, the old passes away? How is it that I'm made perfect or holy or blameless before him? How in the world does this happen? Because if I'm not there, I want to be there. If I'm not there, I I need this because I live my life in fear, because I live my life in doubt, because I have things in my past that I struggle with. So, Eric, tell me, how does this happen? Now, listen, this is the best news of all. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. It's just the next chapter. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 begins to tell us how we've been disobedient. We're by nature children of God's wrath. But look in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. This grace, it's a, it's a gift that we don't deserve. And so when you think of grace, you think of a gift that's given to you, that it's not your birthday, it's not your anniversary, it's, it's a gift that you do not deserve. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Say, in Christ. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. Say in Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Now here's the deal. This is, this is the best news of all. The gift of being in him. The redemption through his blood. The no condemnation. The new coming alive. The old passing away. The sealing by the spirit. The holy and blameless only comes by his grace through faith. It's only a gift through faith. And so here we are, 
open before God. Not because we do right or wrong, not because we have the ability to fix ourselves, but by grace, the gift through faith. Now keep reading. Verse 8 again. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this faith, this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. So here's the deal. Even the faith to put your trust in him, the fact that while you were a sinner, he loved you, that he's called you into an inheritance, that he's bought you with a price, he's redempted you through his blood. There's no kind of, even the faith to stand in that, even the faith to believe in that is given to you by God. Why would he do it this way? Because he knows we're proud We're boisterous. We're idolaters. Why would God even take out the faith to believe as a gift? He gives you all of those things as a gift of God. Look in verse 9. It's not a result of works. This faith, this grace is not a result of works. So that no one may boast. And so when I stand before you saying things, Like I'm holy and blameless. There's no condemnation for me. I've been made alive. Not boasting in myself. It's only in Christ. Because I have nothing else to boast about. So we can't stay, do this or do that, all we can say is come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Receive Him. Believe in Him. Embrace this truth. Embrace this grace that it's not by works, but it's only through faith. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship. You know that word workmanship? It's translated as poetry. His artwork, almost. We are God's poem. We are his poetry that he's writing. You want to see the splendor of God? Look at the people of God and see how he takes a wretched life and transforms it and begins to write a song or a rhythm or a life that has been changed. This is God's poetry. He's doing something. He's working in us. He has called us so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ. Everyone's saying Christ. For good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And so Jesus today says, in me, there's an inheritance. There's a ceiling. There's a love. There's grace. There's new life. There's no condemnation. There is holy and blameless for you before God. Will you come? Will you smell the goodness and be hungry for me and come to me and I'll give you life. I pray as a church that we would receive that. That we would stand in that.
because that will grow a passion in us that is unique among our city and the world. That in Christ, we're his. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for bringing redemption that only you could bring. Jesus, I thank you that in you, there's hope. In you, there's life. In you, there's no condemnation for me. I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would bring maybe a conviction upon us of the ways that we failed to trust you, for the ways that we failed to stand in your goodness, that we failed to stand as a son or a daughter. Jesus, I pray that you would bring your Holy Spirit that would remind us of these promises so that we could glorify you with our lives. Jesus, if there's anyone here today that would say, I'm, I know God's telling me I'm not in him, but today I want to put my faith and I want to put my belief, I want to put my trust in the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made for me. I want to put my trust in that so that I could be right before God. I want to know God. I want to cling to Jesus. He's the treasure that I'm after. And so God, place on our hearts right now of those that you're calling and bringing to yourself even today. If you're here today and you would say, you know what? I don't believe I am in Christ. But I want to be, I want to know him. I want to walk with him. I want to trust him. Maybe you're here today and you're weary of trying to work out something that is a gift to you. And you realize that no matter how hard you work, you can't make it. But today you want to put your faith and your trust in Christ of Jesus in my life. Yeah, okay. I'm going to ask you now as the church to take a moment and ask God which promise or which promises have I ceased to trust you in? Which of these promises if I fail to stand in because I know that by standing in them you can bring life to my brokenness you can bring life which one of these is it and so today I'm going to ask that you would spend just a few minutes with God and saying God I need you to instill this promise that Eric shared in my life I need you God to instill this promise in my, my heart because I want to glorify you I want to stand in you and so I'm going to ask right now, maybe you're going to pray and ask God how you can stand in him. Receive the promise. And when Jesus reminds you of the promise, that it is true, I want you to stand. I want you to sing. And I want you to worship the creator and the sustainer of all things.
I want you to stand and rejoice that you have an inheritance. You're a child of his. Will you ask God to remind you and then rejoice when he does? Jesus, help us.